Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. Salutations. It's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke, and I've had two weeks, consecutive weeks, which were quite different from one another. So a week before last, I felt like I was struggling. At that point, I think we were three weeks in to a new academic year, and I felt like I was firefighting. I didn't feel on top of anything. Last week, however, despite being quite ill, so just for the sake of a tangent, I had some sort of cold or flu type thing last week. You might still be able to hear it in my voice now. But on the Monday, I found myself struggling to deliver my explanations to my classes because I was running out of breath and going dizzy. I had to sit down when teaching year nine. Not good at all. So I had to... Well, on that day, I I ended up going home. First time since working at my current school that I've had any time off ill, but I went home at lunchtime. But the following day, I managed to drag myself back in. I was feeling a little bit better. And my illness at that point had just kind of coalesced into like a horrible cold. Because the day before, I didn't really know what was going on. I was like, hang on, what's happening here? I can't get through a sentence without losing my breath. And I was still suffering with that a little. So I had to strategically shorten my sentences, which I think was a great benefit, actually. I had a good think about how I could say what I needed to say, but in fewer words. It was it was good for me, meant I didn't run out of breath, and I think the students appreciated me shutting up a little more often as well. And so there's a general question for you. How much talking should a teacher do? Because however much I had been talking, I physically couldn't do it when I was ill. Shorten things up and everything seemed a bit tighter. So I managed to limp through um, last week, despite feeling a bit poorly, but I got there. And again, despite feeling poorly, last week was actually a very good week. I really felt on top of it. So the week before, I'd felt a little out of control, like I was firefighting. Last week, however, I felt on top of it. And I thought it would be worth thinking about what made the difference. So like I said, Start of a new academic year, I am very much a creature of habit. It continues to amaze my colleagues that I have exactly the same lunch every single day. So I'm very much a creature of habit, and I don't think I had yet quite settled down into my new timetable. I think my new timetable is a bit awkward, really. I do the vast majority of my teaching on Monday and Tuesday and Friday. And then I have most of my freeze on Wednesday and Thursday. So Monday, Tuesday, Friday are basically full days. Whereas last year, I had a free every day. I had at least one free every day. 
This year, however, so on a Monday, a Tuesday and a Friday, I pretty much don't do anything apart from teach. And I think that was giving me a little bit of anxiety because last year, each day I would do, I would teach three or four lessons and then I'd do something else for another hour. It might be planning, it might be admin. Whereas this year on Monday, Tuesdays and Fridays, those things pile up a little bit, those extra things that I don't get round to doing. So it's just teaching wall to wall on Monday, Tuesday and Friday. So that might have been part of the reason that I felt a little bit out of control at the beginning of this academic year. And I was still getting used to this new timetable where all of my frees are on Wednesday and Thursday. I was still getting used to that. But I now feel that I have gotten more used to it. And I think the the main thing that's made me feel more on top of it this week was that going into last weekend, I had planned hardly any of the lessons for last week. Going into this weekend, however, I have planned most of my lessons for next week. And so this seems to be a bit of a barometer for me. How on top of it I feel at any given moment is pretty much determined by how much of next week's planning I already have done. And I don't know whether that's a good thing. I had this conversation with a colleague in the week because he was asking me about how I manage my time and productivity and stuff like that. And I do have this system, which I've discussed on the podcast before, where I do quite a lot while I do some planning on a Sunday. Anything that I haven't managed to get done the previous week, I'll do on a Sunday. And then during the week, I don't have to spend my freeze planning so I can do other things like marking and admin. And then I'll have my evenings free. But much of this system, I think, is motivated by anxiety. I'm worried that at some point, a future version of me is going to find themselves with too much to do in too little time. And I'm quite stress averse. That would be a very stressful situation for me, and I don't particularly like stress. So I prefer to do more work in the moment to give my future self more breathing space. But then sometimes my future self almost becomes a bit tyrannical over the present self. I end up doing far too much work in the present, and it would have in fact been better to put some off and to do some more work a little bit later on. So I'm trying to free myself a little bit of the tyranny of my future self, that future James. And I'm putting this into practice just a little with how I produce this podcast. So before, every other Saturday, I would sit down and record and edit and publish. Today, however, I'm just recording. And then next Saturday, I'll do the editing. And I think that I'll make the whole process a bit easier. But yes, I'm feeling more on top of it. I think I have gotten more used to my timetable. I'm managing to get some planning done during the week. And all of this has made me feel far more settled. Now, last week was also brilliant for another reason. So I've been made, or at least I put myself forward for the role of Oxbridge Pathways Program Coordinator. Is that right? Oxbridge Pathways Coordinator at my school. 
My school already has a good provision at post-16 for helping students apply to the top universities in the country. But we thought it would be a good idea to extend that downwards into the younger year groups. And I was put in charge of year 8 to 10. And so this involved identifying Oxbridge candidates in those years. So I identified the three to four highest attaining students who also demonstrated the highest levels of intrinsic motivation for academic study in those year groups. That took some doing, but I managed to identify my cohort. We met for the first time a couple of weeks ago and I gave them an overview of the programme, told them about the sorts of things that they would be doing, which would hopefully improve their chances of one day making a success a successful application to a top university. And those things are, they're going to be writing short academic essays for me on any topic of their choosing, one to two pages. They're going to do one of those each half term, and I will provide feedback on those. And second, we're going to do regular Oxplore sessions. So Oxford University release a bank of questions which are designed to help students develop their critical thinking abilities. And so I'm meeting every Wednesday lunchtime with a different year group within my cohort. So last last week I had my first Oxplore session on a Wednesday lunchtime with year eight. Next week it will be year nine. So yes, we had the first Oxplore session last week. I met with the year eights, three wonderful students. We sat down. In fact, I think it was the first time I'd been onto the Oxplore website. I knew about it. I'd heard about it. I knew what the deal was, but I don't think I'd actually been on it yet. Or if I had, it, it looks quite different now. Anyway, pulled up the website. That day or that week's main question was right there on the landing page. And the question was, are explosions always destructive? So we were meeting at a lunchtime. So we all had our packed lunches in front of us. And I said, right, let's not rush into this. Let's all eat our lunch first. We can mull this over, have a think, and then we'll have a discussion. We'll see what we think about this question. Are explosions always destructive? And the following half an hour was one of the highlights of my teaching career so far. We spoke about whether explosions are destructive for a good 30, if not 35 minutes, with little or no break in the conversation. It was wonderful. Now, I found out later that the website actually gives you a lot of stuff to think about, but we didn't know this at the time. So we just ran with the question. And like I said, these sessions are designed to develop the critical thinking abilities of students. These three students had critical thinking in spades already. It was amazing. So they each immediately started to think, of scenarios where you might have an explosion which wasn't destructive. So it'd be a counterexample to the claim that all explosions are destructive. They just did that intuitively. And they started to think about things from different perspectives. And one student suggested, well, what about when you put a Mentos in a bottle of Coke? That's an explosion. People do it for views on social media, but arguably it's not destructive. And we got into a wonderful conversation about what an explosion is, what does it mean to, for something to be destructive, and from whose point of view are we, are we thinking about that? 
And so already they are brilliant critical thinkers. And I think that these sessions are going to be good just for refining those abilities. And it just seems just sitting there with three brilliant students digging into a question like that was just fantastic. I loved it. If you, I mean, most of my background, I'm a maths teacher, but most of my background is in philosophy. So I love those conversations. And rarely do I get the opportunity to have those conversations with students or indeed staff at school. Because those conversations take time. And time is in short supply at school, I found. But on this occasion, we sat down, we took one question and we just thought about it hard and had a fantastic discussion for half an hour and I can't wait for next week's session. So that was one of the highlights of my teaching career last week and also last week, yesterday in fact, there was another highlight. So two highlights came in one week and I'll tell you what it was in just a moment but before that, if I may, my usual Patreon plea. So this episode took a couple of hours to produce, which is about average, and I aim to produce two episodes a month. So that works out to, it's usually between four and six hours a month that I spend producing this podcast. If you think that work is worth at least the price of a coffee, two to three pounds a month, then please consider becoming a member on my Patreon channel and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. It doesn't cost a lot, but it still costs a little bit. So any contribution would be greatly appreciated. And as an extra incentive, I have recently started filming my recording sessions and I post them exclusively to my Patreon channel. So if you'd be interested in seeing those recording sessions, that's an extra little incentive. As always, the link to my Patreon page is in the show notes. Thank you. Now, what was that other highlight? It was in my year seven class yesterday and a student approached me at the end. Very sweet girl, very shy. She sits next to a boy who has quite a dominant personality, so she comes across as even more shy than than she might actually be. But I've never heard too many words from her, let's put it that way. And yet at the end, she approaches me and she said, Sir... Do you know so-and-so in year nine? I'm anonymizing this, obviously. And I said, yes, I do. I'm, I'm his tutor. And she smiled and said, he's my brother. And I, was, and I said, oh, wonderful. Yes, I can see the resemblance. Then she said, I asked him about you. And I thought, oh, okay, here we go. Because this student in year, year nine, her brother, he's a lovely lad. Lovely lad, but can just be a bit uncooperative sometimes, but he's lovely. And so I was very interested to hear what he had to say about me. So she said, I asked him about you, sir. And I said, oh, did you? Okay, what did he say? And she said, he said that you're very kind. And that melted my heart. I wasn't expecting her to say that her older brother, my tutee, had said that I was very kind and I wasn't expected to be hit quite so hard in the feels by her saying it and I don't know why that meant so much to me because I don't know whether I am especially kind 
yet this student in year nine thinks I am. And that makes me feel, perhaps more than anything else, that I'm doing something right as a teacher. If I can be a role model for kindness, like I said, I'm not entirely sure what it is I'm doing that this student perceives as kind. I don't shout, maybe that's it. Maybe it's purely the fact that I don't shout. But still, this student sees something in me which makes him think I'm kind. And if that's the way I'm coming across to students, that makes me incredibly proud as a teacher. In fact, reflecting on it now, that might be my highest highlight so far. And on that note, I shall say goodbye for now, and we'll talk again in a couple of weeks' time. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word, in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, at MrBrownPod, or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MrBrownPod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you and talk again soon.